Well, hello and welcome, folks, to Vikings Territory Breakdown Podcast. Uh, I'm here. I'm Joe Oberly with VikingsTerritory.com and PurplePTSD.com, wearing my Purple PTSD hat today. And I'm with my buddy, Mark Craig, who is the NFL insider and Vikings writer for the Star Tribune and StarTribune.com. And today we've got a third square in our Hollywood square as a celebrity comes in. Uh, Jeff Diamond, former GM for the Minnesota Vikings. He was in the uh, front office there for over two decades, uh, eight years as the GM. And he's the guy who drafted Randy Moss, if you go back and remember that. Uh, he is. Uh, he moved on to the Titans there when he was the GM for a while, and he became the NFL Executive of the Year when he was in Tennessee. And now now Jeff is, is in the Asian business. He's working with Blake Barrett's, uh, which is a organization that represents Adam Thielen, of all people. And he does speaking engagements, other media, writing, and he writes plenty of copy for Vikings territory. So we're really, oh, uh, uh, and he also whoops up on Mark on the golf course. Me once, every once in a while, but usually Mark. Uh, occasionally. <laughs> yeah. But we're really happy to have you here, Jeff. Thanks for joining us. And uh, um, just want to say welcome. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. Great to be with you guys, as always. And I look forward to chatting. And okay. hi, Mark. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. That's quite a resume. I, I should be more intimidated on the golf course. I, I didn't realize this guy was all, he was all these things. Uh, well, I, you may be until I snap hook a ball or two. Yeah, there, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we have to give Mark a little grief about uh, his golf because we, we praised him last week for the, the round he had down in Cleveland. I'm sure he told you about that, Jeff, but we won't talk anymore about that. Uh, this past, this past, there's plenty of Plenty to talk about out at TCO because the Vikings reported for training camp this week. And, uh, and I know that uh, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa had a, uh, a presser earlier in the week. And, um, you know, as former GM, uh, Jeff, I'm just curious what you thought of how he did. And did he get all the, uh, the speaking parts right where you're, as a GM, you're supposed to say some things, but not too much to give away. Fun. How, how did, what did you think of his, uh, how he did? Yeah, I, I thought Kwesi handled it fine. Uh, he was certainly diplomatic about Daniil Hunter and Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson, which are the three big dominoes on his uh, chain right now. And so, yeah, I, I thought he I thought he handled things fine and w- was very noncommittal, obviously, on, on where things are going with Hunter. <clears throat> and we know that that Justin Jefferson is going to get. <clears throat> coming very soon as for cousins it's going to probably depend on his performance this season but kirk has has played under those one-year deals or contract impending free agency deals in the past and has done pretty well and made plenty of money so i don't think kirk's real worried about it and i don't think that that justin is either i'll tell you guys honestly i'm a little surprised that Justin is doing everything in training camp. Uh, apparently, it was a full go yesterday rather than doing the hold-in strategy that, that so many top players do when there's so much money at stake and which Hunter is doing at this point. So I was a little surprised that, that Justin did what he did even at the end of minicamp and that apparently he, he's not going to hold back in training camp. I, I think it's a little bit risky for him. Jeff, what did you think when, uh, going back to Hunter, what did you think when, you know, he was basically a point blank, do you see Hunter on this team? Because there's only two results here. It's either either they extend him or they, they make him happy or they trade him. 
And he dodged that pretty, pretty well and said, you know, uh, he's a great person. Uh, first of all, I wanna, I'm glad he's here or whatever. Um, you know, from what, how I look at it, I mean, Hunter's it's, it's the end of July and they're already, their team's put together. And to me, it's like, I feel like Hunter's got them over a barrel here. And uh, if they end up trading him, uh, well, that's, that's a big loss for Quasi, I think. I mean, cause that, that defense will not be the same. Yeah, I know. I definitely agree, Mark. And <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think he's a must have player <clears throat> for this team this year. When you look at what Brian Flores wants to do defensively with pressure <clears throat> and Hunter is really the, the proven commodity as a, as a pass rusher and a whatever three or four time pro bowl player. <clears throat> I, I just think it's very risky if you're putting your eggs in DJ Wanham and Marcus Davenport they they've been good players in their careers. Uh, Davenport had nine sacks two years ago in new Orleans, but last year only had a half a sack. He is a former first round pick, but again, there's questions on him if he can stay healthy and, and Wanham has had some good, good moments with the Vikings, Patrick Jones also, but in this day and age in a passing oriented league, you have got to be able to pressure the quarterback. And I think if they're counting on safety blitzes and, and backer blitzes and so forth to create pressure, it's going to obviously put a lot of, a lot more pressure on the corners, which is the big issue for this team right now, along with Hunter. And the, the corners are, are basically all unproven here, and the top four corners from last year are all gone. So if you're counting on Andrew Booth Jr., who's never been healthy for a full season, uh, Caleb Evans had his concussion issues, uh, even Byron Murphy had a back issue last year. Uh, there's so many questions in that cornerback room. And I think Hunter is a must sign. And I also think, I don't think it's that difficult a deal to get done. If you believe that the Neil Hunter can play at least a couple of years and stay healthy, it's not that hard a deal to do because he's got 5.5 million in, in base salary and roster bonuses that you can convert into a signing bonus in a new deal, do a, Give him a twenty million dollar signing bonus over whatever five years, four years, do a, or put some voidable years in the contract, and they can basically keep the same cap number that's about thirteen million dollars on Hunter with an extension. So Isn't that kind of what they did last year with him, Jeff. You know, uh, with his contract, I think it's a two year contract that he's sitting on, or he no, last, no, really last year they just they just moved up money <clears throat> from this year's base salary to, to last year's base salary. Okay. And so that was a different deal. I'm talking about doing an, an extension where you're telling the player, yeah, we believe in you and, and you're going to be a quality player for us for several years. He, he's still only, I think, 28 years old. I, I just think that you got to get that deal done. Why haven't they? I mean, it, it looks like, I mean, you, you really laid it out well. He, he's, He's doing this hold-in thing. I'd, I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit. But, uh, I mean, they know how valuable he is. They know what how much they need him. And they have some money. And, and you know, his agent knows how much money there is that is out there. Why aren't they getting this done? Why hasn't it been done yet? Because he's they have to have him. I, I guess I don't understand that strategy. Well, <clears throat> I think, obviously, Hunter's camp is looking for something in the range of of where guys like Khalil Mack are, 
um, as the kind of the second level pass rushers. I don't think he's looking for TJ Watt money at 27, 28 million a year. And, and we know Nick Bosa is going to soon sign for probably 30 a year to, to be the top pass rusher in the league. Uh, TJ Watt is right there, is there now at whatever, 27, 28 a year. And, and so is, is uh, Nick Bosa's brother, Joey, he's around there. And so, but, but then that next level, you got Khalil Mack, you got Bradley Chubb down in Miami around 22, 23, which is where Hunter probably should be uh, in terms of total compensation right around that low twenties. And I would structure the deal with some incentives, with some per game active roster bonuses. So you say, okay, Daniil, if we're going to pay you whatever, 21, 22, 23, you're going to have to be on the field to earn it. We're going to put a couple million dollars in, in roster bonuses and, and maybe some incentives for over 10 and a half sacks. So it's not likely to be earned. And, and try and make it make, make him get back to that 15 sack a year level that he was at. And so, as I said, I don't think it's that hard a deal to get done. If you believe that Daniel Hunter can stay healthy, be an impact player for at least two to three years, then you do the deal because he's not that old. If you, if you're not sure about that, then it's a problem. And so either the Vikings aren't that sure or Hunter's asking for, more money than that 22, 23 million a year deal <clears throat> or so that I think the Vikings would probably give him as they're probably going to be forced to do. Uh, my, 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 my thing with this is that, you know, like you said, maybe the Vikings are, you know, feel this way or that way. My, my, my feeling is these are like March and April things that, that should have been taken care of, not like on the eve of training camp in training camp. Holdings. <clears throat> Um, I think it's just a big, it's a big error so far in the timing for, for Quasi. I, you know, I, like they got themselves into a situation now where it's in order, also in order to make, uh, I think Davenport realize his potential, he needs to kneel on the other side. Otherwise these offensive coordinators are going to, you know, if Davenport, you know, realizes his potential, they can always, you know, and there's no one else on the other side, they can kind of move it around. Uh, just seems like this is something that has to be done. And, and part of me wonders if maybe Daniil just doesn't want to be here. He, he didn't didn't feel I, – I don't think he was in, really thrilled with the 3-4 last year. I, I would think he's going to be used a little more aggressively this year, but I, I, part of me wonders if maybe he just wants out. Well, I think if that was the case, I think the agent would be making more noise about that <clears throat> and yeah. demanding a trade, as, as happens often in the business. And so I don't necessarily think that's the factor here. Okay. <clears throat> and in some respects, Mark and Joe, sometimes there's a method to the madness. And I, I go back to my negotiations back in the 90s with Robert Smith, as an example, with a player who had had a lot of injuries early in his career. And Robert always wanted to sign shorter deals. And he would hold out until about two weeks before the regular season started. Now, I knew what he was doing. I knew what his MO was. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I, I didn't mind it because even though the coaches were saying, where's Robert, where's Robert? I would say he'll be here because I learned he knew the system. He'd come in shape. Now, in this case, Hunter is here. He's in the meetings. He's learning the system. He's, I'm sure he's going through walkthroughs. And 
so do you really need Daniil Hunter on the practice field in early August, late July, early August? You certainly aren't going to play in preseason games. And do you really want him exposed in the joint practices where he could get hurt against the Titans and the Cardinals? Or do you think really <clears throat> kind of that the true deadline for Daniil Hunter might be two weeks before the regular season? Because you know the guy's a phenomenal athlete. He's, he's going to be in shape. He's going to stay in shape. And so why do you need him exposed in training camp practices, banging heads with Brian O'Neill and Christian Terrasaw, if you can wait until two weeks before the season and get him ready to go? I think the true deadline really was not April, was not even start of training camp in my mind. It's really a couple weeks before the regular season. Well, if, you don't, if you don't have him by then <laughs> under contract and in full practices, then you got a problem because then he won't be ready for opening day. Well, is this hold-in kind of thing? Is isn't that a signal to the to the front office that he does want to be here and maybe he doesn't want to practice? He wants it to be like Brett Favre didn't get flown in until the games are ready to start. But uh, I mean, he's here, he's learning the system, and he and he wants to be part of it. Is 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 this hold-in designation that kind of thing where, uh, you know, we should be heartened by that? I think so. I think that that's, if, if he was really going to play hardball, uh, which I think would be a mistake, and and just not show up and, and absorb the, the $50,000 a day fine, which teams aren't allowed to waive anymore. They used to be able to, sit, to kind of wink and say, oh, okay, it's, it's, it's all right, we're not going to fine you. But now I think they're obligated to – to, to find the player and, and some players think, yeah, I'm going to make that up in, in the new contract, whatever, or, or force the team to, to pay me that extra money. But I, I think it is a, a positive sign that he's here, that he's in meetings, that he's learning the new defense, that he's talking the Flores. And so I, I think that that is, is positive. And as I said, the hold in, I think is, is the right strategy for Hunter with, and his agent to take. And as I mentioned before, I, I would be apprehensive to have Justin Jefferson out there doing all the stuff in practice. <laughs> That's a great point. When, when he's looking at a $30 million a year deal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and supposed to make four, $4 million this year. I think that's really risky. Now, Justin is a happy-go-lucky guy who just says, hey, I'm not worried about it. The contract will take care of itself. But if I'm his agent, I'm a little concerned about that. That's that. That's why he needs a guy like a grizzled guy like yourself. Man. Hey, you know, young buck, sit down. <laughs> yeah, but especially at that position because that, that's the one – I mean, let's face it, training camp practices aren't uh, difficult anymore. And certainly Daniil would, doesn't shy away from, any, from work, so that's not, a, that's not what he's looking at. But that is a position where you can have uh, the, you know, the non-contact. You know, you can go up for a ball and come down wrong, and uh, so yeah, that that is a to me there. There's more risk of him getting injured than maybe like Daniel, but certainly uh, with Daniel's injury history, you know, he's probably being wise sitting out. But yeah, I, it does surprise me a little bit because, you know, he doesn't have an overbearing coach. He doesn't have. Uh, his reputation is spotless when it comes to, you know, unanimous first team, all pro. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, he's on the docket for this even a bigger deal, uh, the biggest ever for that position. And he's doing, he's 
plowing forward. So that's uh, it is very interesting. Now you had said that that uh, they could probably. Uh, what are your thoughts on how they would extend him uh, or or do whatever they need to do to make him happy? Yeah, I, I, as you mentioned, Mark, it's for a receiver not only coming down wrong, just making a cut. Yeah, right. <laughs> it and it's happened often to receivers that the non-contact ACL tear or whatever. And, and so hopefully that won't be the case at all for Justin. But again, I don't think it's that hard a deal to do. I, I always felt that the easiest deals for me to do as a, as a GM and as a team president were for the very best players because the, the market is so well-defined and we know and Quasi knows and Justin's agents know that the, the highest paid receivers in the league are Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams, <clears throat> who are both at $28 million a year when you factor in the last year before their extension. Now, Tyreek Hill got $30 million, million a year in new money, but when you factored in his last year before he went to Miami, they played under in Miami, it was really $28 a year. So, but for Justin, who's supposed to make four something this year, 19 next year under the fifth year option for him to, to get to 30 million a year and include the last two years of his deal, they'd have to pay him whatever, 36, 37, 38 million a year to, to make the whole thing average out at 30. And I don't think they want to do that because, <laughs> because that would really skew the market. And it, it's a weird deal. <clears throat> and as you and I talked yesterday about Mark, the best solution that I would think would be just to tear up the last two years of his contract and just do a new deal for 30 million a year for five years. And when other players and agents complain about it, then you say, okay, well, when you're a first team all pro and you're the best, best player in the league at your position, come talk to me and, and we'll, and we'll talk about it. But this is the best solution for him right now. And I don't think anybody else would really be that concerned about it on the team when they think about he's the best player on the team. That that's what you would do, but do you think they'll do that? I mean, it, it if it, it makes the most sense, it it uh, uh, he's playing like he's going to get a contract. I mean, he's under contract already, so he, technically he has to. You're saying you should hold in and not be you know doing stuff until this is done. But they don't have to do anything right now. But they're you think they're going to or they should right now? <clears throat> I, I I would do that. I, I think that that's the best solution where they don't have to give them a deal that that uh, media people like, like Mark Craig say, wow, you paid him $38 million a year. <laughs> and they always focus on the new money. They don't focus, which as an agent in the agent business, I love that, <laughs> that they focus on the new money. But the true value of contracts includes the previous years. And as I said, to get him to $30 million a year, they would have to pay him 37, 38, whatever, you can do the math. And that is, that would really be something that would be just that I would not want to have that trumpeted out there as Justin Jefferson's new money deal is 30, whatever, 30, over 35 million a year. Right. I, I think that, that that's the best solution. Whether they're going to do it, it would be certainly the first time that I think that the Vikings have done that. And <clears throat> I may have done that back in the day, but it might have been for a player who had been an undrafted player, became a starter, <clears throat> and, and we might have kind of said, okay, we're not going to worry about 
your last year on your rookie deal and just do a new deal. But it's just, it, it is somewhat of, of a, of a new precedent, which perhaps Quasi and, and Rob Brzezinski don't want to do, but it, it, it's probably the way to get this thing solved. Um, speaking, you know, after talking about those, I, I got to pivot to Kirk Cousins because you got these, the hold in, you got what uh, the play in or whatever you want to call Je- Justin Jefferson's doing. And now you have a completely different thing with Kirk who says, I don't want to talk about, you know, let's go, you know, I'm, I'm going to play out this year and show you what I can do. Like he's done in the past. What is going on there? The, why, why is he doing that? And I mean, you can put both hats on and, and try to figure out this situation. Cause I think it's bizarre. I think they should have gotten Kirk done by now, but um, I, I don't know the, the ins and outs of a contract, but if, you know, they definitely need him here. So why isn't, why, why is this happening with, with their most important position player on the team? I think what happened there was they probably initially wanted to do the deal after he had his 13 win season and they come from behind wins, notwithstanding that awful last check down throw to TJ Hawkinson. Um, But I, I think they probably would have liked to have gotten him an extended probably in that 35 to $40 million a year range. And then Daniel Jones signs for 40 million a year. And you got Kyler Murray at 46 a year. Jalen Hurst gets 51 a year. Justin Herbert gets 52 a year. Lamar Jackson, 52 a year. You know, Joe Burrow's going to be there. And and Mahomes is kind of waiting in the wings and is going to top all of them at some point when, when they restructure his deal, renegotiate his deal. So I mean, it's, it's kind of bizarre to think Patrick Mahomes on his $450 million 10-year deal now is probably about the seventh highest paid quarterback. Oh my gosh. When he's the best. Well, but I think, I think the Jones contract in particular skewed the cousins contract. And I think that, that then Kirk's camp said, Hey, this guy has never been a pro bowl quarterback and look at my career performance, my career stats. Now. Yeah. Daniel Jones may have greater upside, and, and oftentimes in contract, you're paying for the future performance. But Daniel Jones had one good season. Kirk, Kirk has had several good seasons. I, I, I think that game at the U.S. Bank Stadium got Daniel Jones paid, got Ed Donatel fired, and it got uh, them thinking about Kirk's future again, where, where he, like you mentioned, 13 wins, the comebacks. He, he, you know, his stats weren't as good as the previous years, but he played the position, I feel, the best he's played it because he maybe there was a little bit more willingness to lead and, and risk take and, and do some things. Uh, but that game kind of put every flipped everything around. Uh, and, you know, the after effects of that, I mean, but Daniel Jones, yeah, I, I agree 100% that, that there's a lot of people looking at that contract and going, oh, you know, uh, you know, and Kirk, the, the dealing with Kirk's certainly is impacted, I think, by that. Yeah, and, and the Jones deal, I understand the Giants were in a tough spot. They wanted to keep both Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. They, they couldn't franchise them both. And, and so they, they paid Jones a little bit more to get it done and so they could, so they could franchise Saquon and, and deal with his, the repercussions of the, of the running back market and him threatening to not show up, which he wisely did show up and took a little bit more money and incentives to get the deal done. But 
we know about running backs being devalued and all that's affected everybody, including Dalvin Cook today. But yeah, the Cousins situation really, I, I think, is 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 a little bit problematic. And I agree with you. I think not only that game against the Giants, it might have been the last two plays against the Giants right. when, when he throws a little bit behind KJ Osborne on third down. Yep, and which he beat himself up over in the Netflix special, which was really interesting to hear. And then the fourth down play where he checks down. And I think a lot of people forget in that game, he didn't have Brian O'Neill. He who was out with his Achilles. Yeah. He had Garrett Bradbury coming back from a back injury facing Dexter Lawrence. Yeah. And on that last play, Lawrence, does a little twist and, and beats Ezra Cleveland and he's in cousin's face as he's, as he's checking it down. Now right. I still say, Hey Kirk, throw it up to JJ. <laughs> Give him a uh, yeah. Like you did in Buffalo. And then no one would, would complain, even if it was intercepted because you went to your best player and you gave it a shot, even though he was double covered and, and who knows if Jefferson comes down with it. I think that, I think that was his fatal mistake in that particular situation. And that may have, as you said, Mark, played into the whole repercussions in the offseason and that that deal did not get done. If he, if he wins that game, if he completes a pass to Jefferson, goes down, wins an overtime, regardless of what happens in Philadelphia, which I don't think they would have done much in Philadelphia, but regardless, he still would have had that on his resume. He would have had a second career playoff win and would I think would have made a big difference in contract negotiations. And then I think the Vikings would have stepped up and said, okay, yeah, we'll pay you. We'll pay you in that Kyler Murray range and give you a couple more years and, and, and see how it all shakes out and put some voidable years in the deal to get your cap number down. But now they're in a interesting situation and I don't think Kirk is sweating it too much. Yeah, that's what I don't get. Uh, Jeff, what about from the other side of the table? You're, you're a Kirk's agent. What are you? What's the machination? What's the thought process there of saying, "Oh well, we'll just wait," you know, and and go play behind this offensive line and and stay stay healthy for another year, you know, and and then get that big deal. What what are they thinking? What's what's their thinking there? Well, probably thinking he's made over two hundred million bucks in his career, so he's not really worried about it. Okay, just like Aaron Rodgers took a little pay reduction. Uh, yesterday to to get it get his uh, his contract extended <clears throat> with the Jets or, or restructured. Uh, Aaron's not worried about making a little bit bit less money, just as Tom Brady wasn't. I think Cousins isn't worried about the money. He's got plenty of money. He's got generational wealth. <laughs> we know that, and and he's and they've been there before, and it's paid off for them before with with his Vikings contract after leaving Washington. And and with his last couple short extensions with the Vikings, he, he's always come out smelling like a rose. And if he has a if he has a good season, he will again. And I think he's got a, a good chance to do that <clears throat> in his second season with O'Connell, with the the skill set people he's got with Jefferson, Addison, Osborne, Hawkinson, the offensive line has five guys are all drafted in the first or second round. Now he's missing Dalvin Cook, but I, I think that they've got a good group of running backs that can replace Cook. And and we've talked before about Cook's production has dipped from year to year, his yards per carry. And 
and I really thought Madison was the better back in short yardage last year and in, in a lot of situations. So I think they'll be okay at running back. So I think Kirk is looking at it and saying, yeah, I think we got a good chance to be really good on offense again this year. But will that defense perform well enough for them to, to win the division, get to the playoffs, win a playoff game, and put him in the same situation he was last year? And, again, it's one of the things he talked about on that Netflix special. I thought that was a great show, by the way, guys. Okay. It was yep. really yeah. illuminating on what a player goes through in terms of, of – of their preparation in terms of overcoming injuries that Kirk had to do and Mahomes had to do with his ankle injury in the postseason, and and so it's just really interesting to think about Cousins' situation and and how he mentally approaches a season. I think he's got a chance to have a really good year again, but obviously there's a risk. But again, so what <laughs> if if it doesn't pan out for him? He'll still get a job. He'll still be making good money as a starting quarterback in the league elsewhere in free agency. There are plenty of teams that, that still need help that are looking for starters, places like Tampa Bay, if, if Mayfield doesn't pan out. He could even go back to Washington <laughs> with their situation or Atlanta. I mean, there's plenty of teams where he can get a, a good starting gig next year and, and still make that 35 to 40 or plus a year deal. But, but yeah, there's risk for both sides. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, 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 they, if they get off to a good start that they decide to do the extension before the season ends, but they may just play it out. Hmm. And then at that point, Kirk might say, I'm going to hold up and, you know, maybe Kirk doesn't want to sign if they get off to like seven and one or something. Yeah, exactly. He may think, well, I, I can get to 50. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All about and, leverage. And- and as far as you know, why, why what they're thinking? They're thinking that this guy's been doing this since he was like in junior high school, like proving himself. I always said Kirk's not going in the Hall of Fame, but his pen is. <laughs> when he, <laughs> that he signed all these contracts. Uh, I mean, he's come out smelling like a, a rose and a, a pile of freshly minted bills. Uh, right. So he, I mean, I that's one thing I admire about him with you know being on the franchise tag twice and. Um, you know, doing what he did when he came. You know, it's hard to believe that when he came here, he was the highest paid quarterback in history for, but it was only like for like five minutes, I think. Uh, yeah. Now he's a bargain. He, he's he's like a, you can look at Kirk and go, well, you know, we're only paying Kirk this, so maybe we can afford more on Daniel. It's kind of weird. Zimmer Zimmer's, uh, you know, Zimmer never liked that deal because it, it ruined his defense with uh, them having to let their top three corners go after nineteen. Um, but now it. Kirk's almost a bargain, isn't he? If you, yeah. As you look at the quarterback market? Yeah, he, he definitely is. It's, it's, it's crazy how, how the quarterback market has just exploded. And, but, but then again, so is the salary cap. <laughs> so yeah. cap's going to go up $20 million a year. You might as well put it towards your quarterback because he's the most important guy. And, and yeah, I think, that, I think that Kirk, as I said, he's not sweating it. And, and he could well say, hey, I'll, I'll play it out and – and we'll we'll deal with it next year and then see what happens. And so, and if it doesn't if it doesn't work out, he'll still have plenty of options. But uh, Kirk's going to be I'm all right. Sure you want to count on Nick Mullins or Jaron Hall being your next answer mm-hmm. at quarterback? <laughs> well, we better. Well, we've been working over our our guests, so we better uh, uh, take a break so Jeff can 
uh, take a break or he'll be a hold in and he won't be making any, <laughs> any comments. Right. So we'll, we'll be right back on Vikings territory breakdown. Come on back. <clears throat> okay. Welcome back to Vikings territory breakdown podcast. Uh, Mark and I are joined this week by our special guest, uh, Jeff Diamond, uh, former GM for the Vikings and the, uh, and the Tennessee Titans now a player agent with, uh, uh, I can have Blake Bratz. Uh, IFA. <laughs> Pardon me. IFA is the firm. <laughs> IFA. Okay. And uh, so he's been on both sides of the table is on both sides of the table. And I did, we're just kind of picking his brain now that because we're heading into training camp here and, you know, things are coming down the wire for unsigned players and such, but uh, uh, Jeff, you know, the Vikings let go of a number of uh, big name veterans uh this season uh you know among them uh eric kendricks uh adam thielen went to a different team um um uh who was i saying earlier they got uh and dalvin cook is now looking for a new job and and yet harrison smith was on that same uh train but he stayed what what's the thought process for a veteran at the end of the year at the end of their contracts when you know evolved for so many seasons have pushed money forward and uh, delayed that. And, and all of a sudden it comes down and say, well, the team says, okay, we got to go, we got to get younger. So can you talk about that process and what you think about it from both sides of the table? Maybe. Yeah. I, I think in terms of Harrison's situation, it was, he also, let's remember he took a pay cut uh, in his contract to, to stay. And, but I'm sure he did not do that until he tested the market to see what what kind of deals he could get out there as a as a 30 or 32 year old veteran safety with however many pro bowls and probably a future hall of famer but but i think that that harrison probably didn't see a market with a team that he wanted to go to that would pay him at that 15 million a year level where he had been extended and so he takes a, a pay cut to stay and it was it was probably the smart decision on his part. And and it's also a situation where you stay w- with a team that, you know, with players you like and and coaches you like. And and I'm sure he had several conversations, several conversations with Flores that that he wanted to use him kind of more in the mode that Zimmer did with more aggressive blitzing and and kind of moving in and out of coverages. So, yeah, I think that that's a little different. Uh, I think Adam is still a quality receiver. Of course, mm-hmm. I'm I'm biased because our firm represents him, and he got 10 million or so with with Carolina. So, so it worked out okay for him. Um, and then the Vikings went out and drafted Jordan Addison to essentially replace him. Now, that's a little bit of a crapshoot especially when you consider Addison ha- already had a minor injury in rookie camp. Now he's back fully participating, but I would be a little nervous about him if I were the Vikings brass that he can stay healthy. When you look at his frame and, and Mark's been out there at practice, he's kind of a skinny guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's uh, um, we were playing golf with Lester Bagley and Lester mentioned how his helmet, he almost looked like, a you know, all these guys look like children to us now, but you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, he's going to be fast, but yeah, he's, there's a little bit of uh, a slight build to him. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure he'll build up over time. Yeah. Jefferson did. He, he did. 
he he has built himself up over, over the last couple of years to withstand the and the, fun, the the beatings that receivers take at the line of scrimmage and has gotten stronger and 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 so I, I'm sure Addison will do that too. But I, I worry about those rookies pulling hamstrings in camp or in joint practices and and whereas you had a sure more of a sure thing with Adam, um, Kendricks just did not play as well, especially in pass coverage last year in that three, four compared to a four, three. And so uh, he's kind of in the same situation. I think the chargers also play a a three, four, don't they Mark? But, but um, yeah. So, so he's kind of in that same situation, but at least he's been a year in the system in the three, four. Mm -hmm. So, because I I still think Eric Kendrick's a good player. He just did not have a really good season last year. And it, and it didn't help him that the whole that whole defense was a mess under Donatel, obviously. Um, is is Dalvin Cook uh, gonna all those guys? Patrick Patrick Peterson, another guy. Yeah, uh, raved his play, but in the playoff game against the Giants, he got beat for a touchdown. Got beat several times by Hodgkins, who was kind of a journeyman receiver. And Patrick Peterson is not the guy he was at one time. And so the Vikings think, well, maybe Murphy's younger, faster, if he can stay healthy. It's an if. But I think Peterson, in my mind, was a little bit overrated here when people thought, yeah, he's a a CB number one and an elite player. He was not an elite player anymore. Made a couple of great interceptions in Buffalo last year. but and, And he was a good player. He wasn't a great player anymore. So you look at all those situations. Some of them made sense. Some of them may not have made as much sense, but they were up against it cap wise and had to make some moves. And, and those were the, the ways they could get it done. Yeah. I, I think that Donatel defense didn't do any favors to two. Like Eric Kendricks, when the, the year that he was all pro first team, and he probably would have been all pro two years in a row first team, but he got hurt that calf muscle. Uh, that was kind of the last straw for Zimmer's defense that year, whenever he collapsed. Uh, then everything was, you know, couldn't even squeak into the playoffs. It was seven uh, teams. Uh, but, you know, like when he was that year, it, he was such an instinctive player. Just uh, he knew before things were, you know, he was fast when he was in his prime, but, but he also, his mind was fast and he, he got the spots and he just, when he was in that Zimmer defense, and then I think you just kind of, he was not the same player. And, and, and certainly Harrison wasn't the same player last year and, um, it just wasn't asked to do the things that he's some of the things he's yeah. good at. Um, so yeah, and the other thing is probably personalities, Jeff. I mean, you could speak to this, but when you're dealing with uh, you know, like guys in the past that have taken pay cuts to come back and stay, like a Greenway, uh, Brian Robinson, uh, Harrison Smith, they tend to be more, um, especially Harrison, I would say that the ego isn't there, they're not offended, like, like if if. If they look around and they can't find anything better, they come back to the Vikings. Whereas some guys might look at, you know, the offense is that you're not paying me. I'll, I'll take the less and go somewhere else. Do you, when you, when you're negotiating with guys, how much does personality come into to play their, their own personality? Yeah, I think it definitely does. And I think the agent enters into that equation too, to convince the player that it's in their best interest. And, and I would, I oftentimes, Back in my GM years in the in the '90s, the salary caps were very tight in those years. The increases would be about one million a year, yeah. at, compared to going up twenty million, which it did wow. this year. I wish I had that to deal with. 
And I oftentimes had to bring in players and, and say, hey, uh, we need to reduce your salary. You're, you're not projected to be a starter anymore or your playtime has been reduced. We've drafted a guy, whatever the case. And but we will I will put incentives, playtime incentives in the deal that if you do become a starter, you could get back to the level that you were. And I said, but if you go elsewhere, you're probably going to sign for minimum salary. They're probably not going to give you as good an incentive deal. You're not going to know the system or the coaches. And, and so some players would take the deal and, and be, be smart and do that. Um, which now in the Asian world, we, we have to advise our players at times to do that. And some players won't because as you said, Mark, with the ego that they don't want to face other players in the locker room saying, Oh, you took a pay cut. How could you do that? And look, and sets a bad precedent for the rest of us and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, I think that the smart players know, and I think Harrison's a really smart, smart guy. And, and he knew, and as I said, I'm sure he and his agents checked out the, the open market. What was available? Who could get what and realize that, Hey, he could still do just as well or better here in Minnesota. Jeff, you're on the other side of the table now with IFA. Got that right, hopefully, this time. And um, uh, what does having been on the opposite side of that table, uh, how does that inform the way you do your job now? It's got to have helped knowing what the other side is thinking probably more than maybe some agents do. And which do you prefer? Uh, which side of the deal do you prefer? Well, I, I think they're different, and but the basics are still the same in terms of negotiation. And I do I do a lot of college speaking at at MB in MBA classes and law school classes on negotiation, and and I talk about kind of the differences between being an agent and being a, a management person, uh, and there are certainly some differences in terms of. As a management negotiator, you're really beholden to your owner <laughs> and the salary cap and have to make sure they understand and, and are okay with what you're doing, which I always did. On the agent side, you have to make sure you have a great relationship with the player and their, and their families and their advisors, or you can get fired at any time. And all the player would owe the agent for is the commission on the contract that was already negotiated. So so that, that makes the difference interesting. Uh, I, th I think that I'm not sure I was, I guess I would say I probably appreciated my work on, on the, on the team side more because, because I always liked the team involvement, uh, game day playoffs, those type of things. Uh, that, that was the excitement of the business and on the player side. Yeah. You're, you're invested in your player and want them to have success, but it's not so, as much, as much with their teams as it is with the players individually although I still want their teams to do well for the player so they can make extra playoff money and so forth. Um, so it, it's a, it's a different world in that regard. And, and I think in terms of my role with IFA, I'm more involved on the recruiting side. I'm more involved with helping to train, to train our players for in terms of things like combine prep, prep with interview preparation, wonderlick training on the intelligence test. Um, and I talk with our players about what teams are looking for in terms of, of their approach and behavior on and off the field, um, in terms of having a high motor on the field, in terms of staying out of trouble off the field, uh, being very active in the community. And so that's more my role. I'm, I'm less involved 
in the day-to-day negotiations, although I'll, I'll, pu- I'll put my oar in there <laughs> on, on certain guys and, and, and say, Here, here's what I think the market is on this guy and this guy. But, but really, it, it's, it's Blake and his crew that are doing the actual negotiating, and, and they've got all the, all the spreadsheets from the NFLPA on, on what salaries are and all that. I, know, I understand and know what, these, what, what the market is, and as I said, I'll give my input. But it's really, they're doing the negotiating. They're the certified agents. I am not a certified agent, okay. so I can't really do that. Okay. Well, quit, uh, first of all, quit prepping these players uh, like on their interviews, Jeff, because they, you're, kill, <laughs> you're killing interviews. And, you know, today's interviews aren't what they were in the 90s and 80s. Uh, well, that's, that's more the interviews with the teams at the conference. Oh, okay. Right. Well, it's tricky. Don't, then, don't walk in. Don't walk in wearing sunglasses and with your cell phone ringing and 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 saying um you know <laughs> like <laughs> those type of things. Speak clearly, be be assertive, be confident, those kind of things. As opposed to what they're doing in their media interviews. Although hopefully a lot of that is carrying over to media interviews because it drives me crazy when a player says you know fifteen times in an answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of sunglasses, uh, I, Randall McDaniel, who's my one of my, he wrote the forward for my book, and uh, one of my favorite former players, just uh, great guy, uh, and just a fantastic guy. Um, he, uh, the Hall of Fame had him back the year uh, T.O. was up for the Hall of Fame the first year. They bring back guys like him uh, to not only talk about you know just what it's like to be a Hall of Famer, what it's like to just represent the Hall of Fame and everything, and T.O. and T.O. was sitting in the front row on his phone with sunglasses on, never once looked up. And here's Randall McDaniel, uh, 14 Pro Bowl, whatever it was, you know, crazy amount of all pro, you know, one of the best guards to ever play the position and, and you know, things that just, that struck me when you said no sunglasses, but uh, yeah. <laughs> right. and, and even Justin in some of his interviews often has those sunglasses on, had him at the NFL honors. I say, I say, JJ, take off, take off the shades. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and speaking of the players, they're in camp now. So we, we wanted we wanted to ask you, Jeff, to to go back to uh, when you were with the team and and just kind of tell us how training camps have changed from back then to where they're at now, and if there's any good stories that you remember. I mean, the whole idea of the preseason games being kind of downplayed in lieu of joint practices now being of more importance. I mean, things have really changed, haven't they? Yeah. And I say definitely changed for the better. Really? <laughs> My first training camp in the mid seventies with Bud Grant in Mankato. And we were, we were the last team to report to training camp because Bud didn't like training camp either. <laughs> but he would always have the team report 10 days before the first preseason game. Um, but yeah, my first training camp, I had been married 10 days earlier and, and go down to Mankato where we're going to be for six weeks. And, and I remember a couple of midweeks driving back from Mankato, trying to get back to, to Mankato by, by 6.30 in the morning when we opened our, our PR office. And those, were, those were tough training camps. Although, although I, did, I did enjoy guys getting out at night to Mankato Country Club. <laughs> After we were done working, we'd sneak over there and play nine, late nine. That was always nice. fun. And, and play some hoops in the man, in the MSU gym. But yeah, one of, one of my really happy moments was when I went to, to Tennessee as president of the Titans 
And, and Jeff Fisher, the coach said, yeah, we're going to have, tra- we have training camp here at our, at our facility in Nashville. I thought, Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't have to go to, to drive to training camp three times a week or whatever it was. Or stay I'm over in Mankato, Jeff. So I mean, you gotta be careful. I mean, that's the garden spot of Minnesota down there. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Mankato is a, be- a beautiful city. But <laughs> it, it was not a great place to spend six weeks in Gage Hall. No, no. It wasn't. I, I I used to tell people in Mankato. I said I got to get myself a a winter home down here because I had never seen Mankato when it was cold. I was like, Mankato to me is like, <laughs> like, uh, like roasting, like I'm in South Florida all the time. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, and I always said like when uh, Mick Tinglehoff was, you know, the streak, all, all these old Vikings, though they played, you know, over 200 games and uh, consecutively never missed any games, never missed anything. But I always said that like uh, when Mick Tinglehoff went and he played 240, you know, he, Came a starter day one, played 240 consecutive games, and retired. Uh, and I said that in that streak somewhere should be the fact that he played six preseason games every year. I, I think uh, from my research, he only there was only one preseason game, and they played six probably throughout his career, I would think. Uh, and there was only one preseason game where he sat out. Uh, you imagine that six more games, and they played them like, I mean, maybe they did pull the starters at the end. I would imagine they it have to. To look at other guys but uh it's it's insane how it's how it's changed not only from from back then but like just uh my first year covering the vikings is you know is 2003 it's tice and tice beat the heck out of these guys twice a day like 14 straight days or something where before they got a day off uh it's uh it's come a long way and uh, you know i i don't Sometimes you wonder if, if, if there should be some something in the middle because maybe the product they're not as they don't tackle as well as they should. But I certainly don't think you'd want to beat the you know, that these prices want to be beating them up as much as they as they're getting as they were used to get beat up. Yeah, speaking at, for, on the Asian side, we're certainly happy not to have our players participating in two a day practices in full pads, which was the case when yeah. I started with the Vikings, even under Bud Grant, who was who was a, a kind of a more of a player friendly coach, but it was still the norm to practice twice a day in pads and in the heat in Mankato. And, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's a positive and, and really not necessary. And, and hopefully I, I think the high schools and colleges have followed suit with that. And it's just, it's just too hot to be out there in full pads twice a day. And so, yeah, I think that, that definitely changed the, going from from six preseason games and i i hated preseason games <laughs> for so many reasons because oftentimes first of all the fans won't even look at watch the games and then they look in the paper the next day and say oh they they got beat they're going to be crappy this year <laughs> when in reality the the starters played a half at most right and so uh, so that drove me crazy that the results people were looking at the results and thinking it mattered which it didn't um, and, and then the fact that there were so many preseason games, six of them was, was awful. Yeah. I mean, after six preseason games and 14 regular season games, it was just, it was just absurd. But the way the, the financial system was then, the owners were making good money and not having to pay the players in preseason, except for their per diems. And, and so they were making close to the same money. But then the fans got smart and stopped, <clears throat> stopped showing up for preseason games. And which cut down on the concession revenue and so forth. So, so the league did 
did finally move off of that. But yeah, preseason games drove me crazy. I, I, I told Mark the story. We were playing the Rams in the final preseason game one year. And, and Burnsy, and I love Burnsy, Jerry Burns, our former head coach, uh, it's the end of the first half, and he, and he calls a Hail Mary. <laughs> and Carter, our top receiver, comes down with a sprained knee and is going to miss four to six weeks after that. And I'm going nuts in the press in the press box or in the in whatever our management box. How could you call a hail mary in a preseason game and put our best receiver at risk on hmm. the field? It was just crazy, but that's what teams did in those days. So it's a good it's a good thing that Kevin O'Connell is not going to have Justin Jefferson doing a hail mary in preseason. <laughs> yeah, we can probably count on that. Even though Justin Jefferson would love to go out there and and, and make that play. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I'd be remiss having you on here and not not allow you to tell at least one uh, Randy Moss uh, story. I mean, uh, you're the guy who signed him. You you know, it would be fun to know what the discussions were maybe between you and Denny and and at the time to to bring him in. But I mean, uh, t- tell me about what what that was like bringing in this this all world talent that uh, uh, really in in a lot of ways put the Vikings back into preeminence in the league at that time. Yeah. Certainly going into that 98 draft, we were thinking defense. We thought our offense was in great shape. We had Chris Carter and Jay created wide receiver. Both have been thousand yard plus receivers many years. And, and we had Robert Smith in the backfield. We had a great offensive line. Brad Johnson was a quality quarterback. Randall Cunningham, an excellent backup. So we were thinking defense to improve our team. We had, won a playoff game against the Giants in kind of a, a crazy manner with an onside kick the year before. And and nobody was picking us to be the kind of team we would be. But <clears throat> as we go into that draft, and we had Randy rated as a top five player, clearly. And then as the draft unfolded with some of the character questions that, that he had faced going back to high school with a, a, a fight that had racial overtones and, and allegedly failing a couple of drug tests, and, and so all of a sudden he's dropping in the draft <clears throat> and we thought for sure Dallas would take him at eight. They passed on him and he started falling. Uh, the Titans, my next team a year later took Kevin Dyson at 16 and we thought, Oh, wow. Uh, th- this could actually happen that he could make it to us at 21. Wow. And so, so at that point, uh, Denny and I talked with Chris Carter and said, if we draft this guy, <clears throat> will you help mentor him? And Chris said, yeah, Absolutely because we all know what kind of player he is. And so as it turned out, um, he fell to us. It was a very difficult negotiation because his agents were saying, well, Randy should have been paid, should be paid like a top five player. Well, no, (laughs) he is what he is. He's the 21st player. There's a rookie salary struck scale and we can pay him, but we can pay him with a slot. And furthermore, I wanted extra protection for the team, which I always had in contracts anyway, but I wanted even more protection that if he if he had any, any off-field incidents that caused him to be suspended or arrested, that he would have to give significant give back of signing bonus. Hmm. I said that's I had that in every contract, but I wanted it even more so in Randy's contract to send the message. <clears throat> and so we finally got the deal done. Uh, he he signed the deal, agreed to the clause, looked up to me up at me when he signed the contract, and he, and he said, he said, Mr. Diamond you're never going to have to worry about that clause. I promise you. I said, Hey, great, Randy. 
happy to hear that. Well, a year later, I'm in Tennessee. I'm not worried about it. And Randy, of course, was offensive rookie of the year with 17 touchdown catches. And, and we should have gone to the Super Bowl. And I'm not going to revisit that one. <laughs> but if we had more time, I would. <laughs> but the, the funny aftermath was when he got into the Hall of Fame, whatever it was, five, four or five years ago, and I called him to congratulate him. And I, I had kept a good relationship with him. I'd seen him in a couple games when we had played the, the Vikings with the Titans and had, had good conversations with him over the years. And I called to congratulate him. And he said, he said, Jeff, he said, Jeff, you remember that clause in that rookie contract about, about my behavior? I told you, you'd never have to enforce that. And I said, Randy, I'm happy that I or the Vikings never did. And what, what a memory. Career. <laughs> I, I'm guessing it was the, the language and interaction was a little more colorful than what Jeff just described. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cause I, I remember uh, when he was, uh, was, the, the year that he was eligible and I went and uh, Randy agreed to do it. It was a, before a Monday night game in Kansas city where Randy was, you know, they, they were on site. The, the pregame sh- uh, crew got to shadow him the entire day and, uh, and talk to him uh, during the meeting, sat in on their pregame uh, meeting and all this stuff. Uh, and a couple of things that jumped out. You always knew Randy was, a, was an incredibly uh, smart football player and, and you know, he had other things that people talked about, but man, the man knew football. I'd sit there watching the first half with him and how he could point things out uh, before they were going to happen with the receiver from Washington at the time. I forget wow. that. He was a quarterback at Ohio State. Uh, and he just – to watch these guys come up to Randy, it was like kids coming up to Santa Claus. I mean, he was – and he'll always – he'll kind of probably always be that way. He's that kind of player. But uh, at some point in that day, I remember him talking. He didn't mention Jeff by name, but he's talked about this this clause. They maybe signed this clause, and uh, and I I so then what? Then when I started playing golf with Jeff, I think that at some point that that uh, came up, and I was like, I I heard him talk about that. that <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean that was that was that was Randy. I, I you know Randy probably doesn't forget anything. Uh, but, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, just uh, you know. There's Hall of Famers and there's Hall of Famers of Hall of Famers. And uh, so it's good that he was a first ballot guy. But well, that, that, th- that for me answers the question of every draft for a GM. Best player available. Look what it did. I mean, you guys were thinking defense. You had the offense. You took the BPA and, what you know, nearly well, went to the Super Bowl. How about and that? I, and I remember one of the anniversaries. This might be the one of the first times I ever talked to Jeff on the phone. I didn't, didn't know him at that time. Uh, did sort of a um, – oral history of like that day and Brian Billick and uh, uh, all, you know, I don't know if Denny was still, was, was still around. I think I talked, I don't know, but anyways, uh, Billick had said something about how Denny was starting to think that they, he might be available. Jeff can confirm this or deny it. Uh, and, and Billick, cause Denny came down the hallway and said to Billick, I think we might be able to get this Moss guy or Moss kid. And, and and Brian said he said well, you know what what are you smoking you know kind of like this we're never going to get this guy and I think and then Jeff could speak to this is at what point does the risk you know when it tilts in favor of the reward uh, like would you know had the Vikings been at five would they have taken Randy Moss uh, do you remember any discussions about I mean not that you would because that's a hypothetical but right yeah I, I think that it was certainly easier for us at twenty one with the amount of money, which I think at that time was like $2 million a year or something on his contract, um, or probably even less. I, I think the risk was certainly a lot less 
at 21 than it would have been where Dallas was at eight in the top 10 or, or whether it was in the top five. And so that, that made it an easier call compared to if we had been hypothetically in that top five group. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Um, fortunately in my career, I, I, I only had one time with the Vikings or the Titans when, when we even picked in the top five, <clears throat> which was the year after the Les Steckel debacle mm-hmm. here when we took Chris Dolman. And, and so, mm-hmm. but I, but I wasn't not the, just not the decision maker at that point in time. So I didn't have to worry about it, yeah. <laughs> but I was an assistant GM then. So, but it, it, it certainly is, is an interesting call in that situation, <clears throat> but if the guy is, is that great a talent and you do your research and, and one of the other part of that equation is we did have a scout Conrad Cardano who had been, uh, had a very tight connection with the Marshall coaches with Bob Pruitt and the coaching staff. He had coached actually coached with them at one point in time. <clears throat> and so Conrad um, knew them very well, talked to them at length and, and they convinced him and he in turn convinced us that all of Randy's problems had been, in that coming out of high school, that first year at Florida State, that he'd not ever been a problem at Marshall, and and so that that was that was also part of the clincher for us because we had inside information from Conrad. Nice. Oh boy, we could talk about that for forever, but we've already taken you over time, Jeff, and uh, uh, we we really appreciate you being here. I'd like you to tell me uh, tell the viewers where else. Um, you're writing these days and where they can, they can uh, read, read, read what you're doing. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Um, <clears throat> besides my Vikings territory, yeah. once a week this time of year, but twice a week during the seat regular season, when I talk about the previous game, usually on Tuesdays and the preview of the next game, usually Thursdays or Fridays. Um, <clears throat> I'm also writing for the 33rd team, which is a national website made up of a lot of former NFL coaches, players, even some current players. I think KJ Osborne does a little work for them occasionally. Robert Smith is on the site. Zim occasionally does some stuff. Spielman does some stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I write once or twice a week for them. Um, in fact, I'm working on a story today about Saquon Barkley's deal and what it means for running backs, especially Josh Jacobs, who is currently not in camp with, with the Raiders after they hit him with the franchise tag. And so it, it's, it's a fun website to work for. And, and I, I do my pieces for them. I also do my college speaking. Um, <clears throat> I do my talk North podcast with, with Mark's uh, colleague at the star trip, Jim Stuhan. And, and so that's, that's fun. And, and I'll, I'll be doing co- coverage for 1500 ESPN during training camp and, and, and likely on into the regular season, I do I do several reports a week for 1500 ESPN and Score North, and also um, do a have done a Monday night show and Thursday night shows for them. So staying very busy, also working with IFA and and a lot of other great clients. I work with a group that wants to start a professional rugby league in America, which has been fun. Wow. And so I, I'm staying busy, definitely. And, All and of that, and still time uh, to take Mark Craig. Well, and I, I like it when his grandkids wear him out the night before. With his, when, Jeff, when Jeff shows up for the seven ten tea time, and he said he had the grandkids overnight, I know the, the legs are gonna the legs are gonna be a little weaker that day. Yeah, and, and that's the advantage of that seven ten time too. Be, besides, other than the fact that I don't get as much sleep as you do, Mark, 
but but at least I can get get done playing in time to to get the rest of my work done. So the seven ten time is good when we can get it. <laughs> I, that's I got the best of both worlds. I have Inverwoods uh, membership, and I have a guy that can make a tea time at midnight, so I don't have to stay up till midnight. Right. I'm doing my other work or or watching TV or doing something. <laughs> Well, given all that, well, we can't say how much thanks enough for, for coming on and taking some yeah. time with us today. Thank it's, you. It's a wonderful way to, to go into the uh, training camp and see how this all plays out, you know, having both sides of the equation from your mind, Jeff. So so thank you, and I hope maybe we can do it sometime down the road. Uh, Mark, thanks as always each week. Mike Wollum, thanks for producing behind the scenes. And oh my goodness, Jeff jo or Joe Johnson, who uh, put us here in the first place. If he'd have been here, he'd have loved this. He he was Randy Moss's biggest fan. So uh, <laughs> thanks to him, and and thanks to all the folks for tuning in. Until next week, and when camp gets rolling, we'll have plenty to talk about. We'll see you then. Skull. Skull.